0: You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Portside, side, you guys doing okay up here? Doing alright? Yeah, awesome. Hey, listen, if we haven't met, my name's Bert, and I'm one of the pastors here. Guys, thanks so much for getting up, spending your Sunday with us. And you have picked a fun Sunday to do it, because we're wrapping up this series called Father of Faith, the Life and Legacy of Abraham. We're going to get to the pinnacle, like the, the defining moment of this story today. And uh, I just do want to set this up a little bit. If I, if I seem like I'm, I'm, I'm assuming things, if, if you get lost, I, just, just full disclosure, right now it's kind of like you're coming in at the end of a movie. Uh, we're we're, at, we're six weeks in, and don't worry if you want to see the previous talks, they're all on our website, solidground.church, absolutely free. You can watch those. Um, but what I want us to do today is, is give context again to this moment, because today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Abraham and Isaac, Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac, many of us Uh, we're familiar with this story. In fact, for many of us, that's really the only thing about the life of Abraham that we've ever heard. Like, maybe you grew up in church, like I did as a kid, and you're familiar with flannel graphs. Remember that, right? The felt that you just stick on a board. And It was always about Abraham and Isaac. Like, the other stories of Abraham's life we didn't typically talk about a lot. And As a result, if you're only familiar with this ending thing where God tells Abraham, listen, I want you to sacrifice your son to me, Abraham goes to do it, and then God says, no, don't. Uh, God comes across as kind of shallow and and petty and, and And you're just kind of going, like, why in the world would he do that? Because there's no context and there's no story leading into it. And it would be kind of like um, if you only ever saw the end of Rocky. You guys remember that? Like, imagine, like, you don't know anything else about Rocky. You just see him in the ring and he's calling out for Adrian. You're like, I guess he likes some girl named Adrian. I mean, I kind of understand he's a boxer, but all the emotional weight of it isn't there. Or, hey, how about this for the fellow nerds in the place? Like, you only ever see or read the end of of The Lord of the Rings? You know, okay. Uh, let me spoil the end of Lord of the Rings. It, it's sixty years old. If you don't know the end, it's your fault. But. Um... <laughs> just is. But, um, you know, like Frodo there, he's, he's at the edge of Mount Doom, right? He's standing over the fire. He's got the ring in his hand. He's supposed to throw it in the fire. And at the last second, he just looks up at Sam. And he goes, no, right? Like, you, if you only ever saw that, you would just look at me like, man, Frodo's kind of a jerk. Like that's, all, that's all that you would conclude. But if you know the rest of the story and give it the right context, you look at that moment, you're like, wow, there's an emotional payoff there. There's a, a tragedy to it. There's this heaviness. And the same is true when it comes to Abraham and Isaac. If you don't know the rest of the Abraham story, I mean, you get it, but you don't get it. You get like, okay, like being sacrificial, trusting God, but there's all this weight to it that you don't have. So what I'd like to do to sort of set this up is recap the story of Abraham as quickly as I can. Here's basically it in a nutshell. When Abraham was an old man, He he had no children. Uh, He had nothing really to speak of as far as possessions or or notoriety anyway. Um, And God speaks to him. He says, listen, I'm going to give you descendants. And on top of that, I'm going to give them a land. And Abraham goes, awesome. And so God tells him, listen, I want you to leave home. I want you to leave everything you've ever known and go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham, to his credit, he does. He steps out of faith, he leaves everything behind, and he goes to the land that that God tells him to. And when he gets there, things go immediately wrong. And you wouldn't expect that. You would expect, listen, God has blessed him, God has shown up, so what should happen is everything is just cakewalk, smooth sailing. But everything about Abraham's story doesn't go that way. So he arrives in this land, and immediately there's a famine. And so he's forced to flee that land, and he goes to the land of Egypt, and while he's there, he's afraid of the Egyptians killing him, so he concocts this scheme to save his own skin, and he gives away his wife to Pharaoh. I mean, it's incredibly untrustworthy right like he doesn't he's not a good guy at this point he's not trusting god at all he's not being a good husband to his wife in fact he does that more than once he gives his wife away more than once and on both occasions god has to intervene save her save him i mean it's this crazy story because what we discover about the story of abraham is this it's not a story of a guy who has arrived it's a story of a guy who is learning to trust god and so when we get to the story of Isaac there's all this context of Abraham failing again and again and again I'll give you another one right so Abraham you know like all this time goes by still no children and so his wife says to him how about this how about you sleep with my slave and have a child through her and Abraham goes yeah that might work so so He gets with this slave, his name is Hagar. She has a son named Ishmael, and shocker, that didn't go well because there's now contention between Abraham's wife, Sarah, and the slave, Hagar. They fight, they bicker. Hagar flees for her life. God saves her in the desert, tells her to go back. She gives birth to his son, Ishmael. I mean, this is all this drama, but again, Abraham and Sarah not trusting God. And finally, when Abraham is 99 years old, and his wife is in her 90s. God says, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And Abraham goes, listen, I, you know, God, I took health class. Um, I know things don't work that way. And he laughs. And God goes, yeah, about that laughter. You're going to name him Isaac. And the name Isaac literally means Laughter. So, Abraham, every time you look at that boy, every time that that you see him, I want you to remember that I do the impossible. Abraham, every time that that you think about your future and you think about your destiny, I want you to understand something. I opened doors where there were no doors. And we see this. And so after all this time, 20 plus years, now finally, Sarah's gonna have a son. So Genesis chapter one, or 21, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah. As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And look at this line here. At the very time God had promised him. Let's pause there for a moment. I think it's important to remember something. Most of us, when it comes to God answering our prayers and, and, and God intervening, God saving, most of us have to recognize that God rarely does things on our timetable. Right? I mean, usually, like, like, when we're praying, we're asking God, what we do is we set up a very, very narrow expectation. And We say, all right, listen, God, I need you to do this. And if he doesn't do it when we want, the way that we want, we think he's not faithful, we think he's not answering our prayers. But let's understand something. No, God does this at the very time he said, because the plans of God are perfect, and the plans of God cannot be thwarted. No, it's at this moment, when when the most glory would go to God, when a a couple in their 90s, for goodness sakes, have a kid. I mean, who can do that but the supernatural Lord Almighty? No, at the very time God had promised him, it continues in verse 3. Abraham gave the name Isaac, laughter, to the son Sarah bore him. Now, it's at this moment that what we would expect is is the sort of happy ending, the, the curtain falls and everything is great right because okay this is it like we've been waiting for sarah to have a son she does you know and they live happily ever after great but actually what happens here in the story in terms of like the flow of the narrative is everything takes a twist because you would expect the story to be over here but it's not you would expect okay listen for abraham to finally now have a son great it's all good but let's understand some things okay so one of the things, and we've talked about this before, but one of the things we have to understand about the world that Abraham lives in is this. To have children isn't just to have little people that you love. I mean, that's great. You know, we want to share our love. We want to have kids. Those are great. Those are directives from God. That's created God, by God. But the world and culture that Abraham lived in, to have a child meant this. A child was your entire legacy for the future. That's why they wanted to have little boys. And they wanted to have a bunch of them because it was a, a patriarchal society. In fact, we could say it this way. If your life mattered and meant anything in that world, then you had a boy, and you had a descendant who carried on the family lineage. And so, we could say it like this, Abraham's entire hopes for the future rest in Isaac. Because what God does is, he's got these two sons, and what God begins to do is strip away Abraham's hopes for the future. So, the first, there's the firstborn, Ishmael, right? And right after, or after Isaac's born, Ishmael, being a big brother, you know, he ribs at his little brother a little bit, makes fun of him busts his chops, but Isaac's mother, Sarah, sees it, and she'll have none of it. So she goes to Abraham, and she tells him, she says, listen, get rid of that boy. He will have no part in the heritage of my son Isaac. And Abraham, it breaks his heart, but God says, "You know, what? yeah, do it. And so Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away, and, and just when it seems like they're not going to be okay, God shows up and takes care of them and provides for them in the desert. In fact, he makes Ishmael into a father of nations himself. But now we see, okay, so you know, if Abraham had two sons, now he's down to one. And so now all of his hopes rest on Isaac. His entire future, his entire legacy, everything, like the plan for his life, how he wants his life to go, if his life will matter at all, it now rests on this one boy, Isaac. And so with that as the background and that as the weight, here's what our story continues in Genesis 22, verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham! Here I am," he replied. It continues. Then God said, "Take your son. And now this is it—your only son, whom you love, Isaac." Um, the, the language here is really neat. Number one, the idea of okay, it being his only son whom he loves. The idea is that Abraham is not unfeeling. It's not just okay, I have a son because that's what I'm supposed to do. Like he 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 has joy from this boy. He he's invested in him. He loves him as a father. Would. But there's something else interesting that's happening that I just want to point out for a moment here. Okay, This phrase right here that we translate is take. Um, in the Hebrew, it's doing a really, really neat and rare thing. Okay, So there is this command here, how we translate it, take, but there's this little word that's associated with it that you almost never see associated with God ever telling anybody to do anything. Like There's, there's, there's a little word, and what it does is it gives a new tone to the command. And so if I could just sort of roughly translate it into English, it would be this. It's the Hebrew word na. And basically what it means is this like when he talks about this idea of take, uh, the, the Hebrew word na associated with the word that we translate is take, basically here's, here's, if we could roughly translate it, it would be this. God's saying to him, please take. Please take your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moria. Now this is shocking to us, right? Because when would you ever expect God, the king of the universe, to say please? I mean, he's above everything, so why in the world would he— I mean, like, he doesn't have to be polite. He doesn't have to, like, empathize there, but he does. It's as though he's aware of the weight that he's asking Abraham. And I think this is important for us to understand, because many of us, we sort of picture God as as this cold, calculating, unfeeling machine that tells us to do this or not do that, and we think he he does it from a place of, well, God's good, he knows what's right. But to understand that he actually feels for us in our circumstances— He actually, like, his heart breaks when ours breaks. He understands the emotional gravity of the places that he takes us and directs us to go. Like, please take. And we're going to get why it's so significant for God as a father to say later on. But understand, when he asks this of Abraham, it's not him, like, with this sort of slave-master relationship. There's empathy there. Please take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moria. Why? Here's what I want you to do. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. And it's repeating that language earlier. Remember that, go to the land, I will show you. Now, okay, go to a mountain, I will show you. And it's interesting, this idea of of burnt offering. Because here is Isaac, Abraham's hopes, And basically, the idea is this. Listen, Abraham, I want you to give me all your hopes up in smoke. Everything that you had planned for your life, every hope that you had for the future, I want you to give it to me in him. And I think this begs a question that, that we should ask is if we don't understand the, the, this story. And it says, what do you hope? What do you hope that God never asks you to give up? Do we have that slide there, guys? There we go. Okay. What do you hope that God never asks you to give up? Now, I want us to chew on this a moment because it's not always bad things. All of us have things that we hope at the end of the day, God would never say, All right, trust me with that, let go of that, go here, give that up. Like, we all have those things, and they're not always bad. So it's not always like, You know, God wants me to stop smoking crack. Well, yes, obviously. But, they're, but like, even healthy things, maybe it's like the way that we parent, maybe it's our relationship, maybe it's where we live, maybe it's comfort, maybe it's convenience, maybe it's stuff. I'll give you an example. You know, every, every now and then I'll preach on the, on the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler. You know the story, right? The guy goes to Jesus, he says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus goes, oh, you know, here's what you do. Sell all your stuff and give the money away. And you'll have life. And God goes away sad because he had a lot of stuff. And every time I preach that story, there's all, I mean, invariably, there's always somebody who will come up to me after church and to hear that lesson of what Jesus says, they're like, wow, that's really powerful. I'm like, I know, right? And then they'll go, yeah, I mean, without fail, here's the line. I sure hope God never asks me to do that. Which means they actually are the rich young ruler, but but what is that? It's this. Okay, I hope I keep mine. And we've all got them. I mean, think you know, like we we hear stories of missionaries, right? Brave men and and women who go overseas to take the gospel where it isn't. And how many of us as Americans we respect that? And then we go. I sure hope I never am called to do that. Because because we value our convenience, we value the life that we've built for ourselves. We value our, if I dare say it, our stuff. And it's here that we understand this is exactly what God is telling Abraham to give up. Everything that defines him, everything that he places his hope in, everything that gives him comfort, assurance, security, Isaac, his son whom he loves more than anything, Abraham, give him to me. And he go, well, why? Why? Why would he ask that of him? Well, the reason for him is also the reason for you and for me. And so if you're taking notes, right, the down. It's really, really simple. Here's what it is. It's that God wants you to trust him. Done. God wants you to trust him. And, and I know as Americans um, and people who maybe have been raised around church or not many of us, we say that we do this without even thinking about it. Right? Because many of us, if I say like God wants you to trust him, what you hear is this you hear, well, yes, God wants me to believe in Jesus so that I go to heaven when I die. That is true. But also you have no alternative. Like you trust him, but what's your option? Like what's your plan B? Hell? Like nobody wants that. But to trust God with our life here, where we have all kinds of options to do for ourselves. Right, like, okay. I I, I don't want to give up that relationship. I don't want to give up that place. I don't want to give up that thing because here's all these things that I can enjoy right here, right now. So to trust him with that, Uh, like that makes me uncomfortable. This idea of like, like me basically giving my future over to God, me missing out on something, me being sacrificial. Like, no, thank you. But that's exactly what he's looking for in you and me, to trust him with not just our eternity, but this life. Right here right now and so how does abraham respond to that well verse 3 says this early the next morning abraham got up and loaded his donkey he took with him two of his servants and his son isaac and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering he set out for the place god had told him about so they go on this trip but look at this next line here here's what it says on the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, meaning for three days, Abraham bears the weight and heaviness of losing his son. For three days, Abraham, who's been called by God to give up his son, he carries this, this, this just breaking of heart for this scenario. I mean, it's really, really powerful. And it continues. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, um, something to note is that scholars are kind of divided here when it comes to like, what Abraham is getting at. Some people, what they do is they say this. They go, listen, the reason that Abraham tells him, me and the boy will come back, is because ultimately, Abraham believes that if he kills Isaac, God will just raise him from the dead. The problem is that contextually, there's no indication of that. We never see God doing that in Genesis, certainly never in the story of Abraham. And also, that kind of robs the story of its weight. If Abraham is basically going to say, I'm going to give him up and it'll be fine. That's not really the sacrifice. I think the better reading here is just simply this. Abraham is lying. Because he knows if he goes to his servants and says, hey guys, by the way, I'm going to take the boy up up the mountain and kill him, they're probably going to have a problem with that. They they may try to stop him. And so it's probably, I think, more uh, a better reading just to understand. Abraham is spinning this gut-wrenching lie so he can get where he knows he's been called to go. And so he says, all right, listen, take the boy, or I'll take the boy, and we'll be back. And So then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and look at this line, and placed it on his son Isaac. So he cuts this wood, he gives it to his son, and now his son carries this wood to the place of where he will be killed. And he himself carried, I meaning you talk about Abraham, the fire and the knife, so Isaac's carrying the wood, Abraham is killing the instruments of judgment and death. And as the two of them went on together, now we just begin to see, like, the heartbreaking moment of this story. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, we see in this moment the emotional trauma of this, that Isaac has absolute trust in his father. That He has no reason to believe that Abraham would ever harm him. And so they're walking along, Isaac is realizing that things are wrong, and it never even occurs to him that Abraham would do bad. Can you imagine, just, hey, come on, as, as a human being, can you imagine the weight of that? Parents, imagine that. I mean, like, who would ever willingly part with their child? We would never do it. But imagine as you, like, you, you somehow like come to this place where God has, has, has directed you, and no, God would never direct any of you here to do this, as we'll see by the end of this story. But like, you're going along this path, okay? And your child looks at you with absolute trust, and you've got to lie to them. And tell them that it's going to be fine. Like, Can anyone imagine how horrific that situation would be? And that's exactly where Isaac is. And so he says, Father, uh, I see like, Abraham says, yes, uh, my son, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Then I mean, Dad, I know all the supplies are here, but, but we don't have the thing that we've got to sacrifice. And so Abraham lies again and he says this. God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. And he doesn't tell them that it's him. And the two of them went on together. And when they had reached the place God had told him about, and this phrase again shows up, the idea that God told him about this to, to really indicate this is not Abraham's doing, it's not what he wants. It's God's movement here, okay? God told him about it. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And so you've got this wood here. Isaac is strapped to it, ready to be killed. Continues. Then Abraham, he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now it's pause here. Because this is the moment of tension. He's gonna do it. The reason he has the knife, the, like the idea of he's got it ready to go, the, the arm is up in the air. He's actually going to follow through. He's actually going to kill Isaac. He's actually going to trust that God will do something for the future. He's willing to just give up everything in this moment. He's willing to give up his son whom he loves. He's willing to give up his legacy. He's willing to give up his life, his future, his hopes. In this moment, Abraham is going to be willing to let go of it all. And I think it's important for us to recognize that right now in this moment we see something. And here's what it is that he's not that guy that we met all those years ago. He's not. He's no longer Abram. He's no longer that guy that had a hard time trusting God that would only do it when it worked out well for him, when it was convenient for him. No, for the first time in his life, he's actually arrived. He's actually become that guy who trusts God, who goes, all right, listen, God, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about you and what you want. Your ways are perfect, so no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to my hopes, no matter what happens to my legacy, my life, my future, it's all about you, and if I lose it all, I lose it all, because I trust you he's not the same guy anymore. That, that guy who gave away his wife, that guy who slept with the slave, no, he's not that man anymore. He is a new man. And God, it turns out, through all these years and all these failures and all these things that were wrong, what God's been doing is actually forming him into becoming a man of faith. And it wasn't an overnight thing. It was a process. But He's there. He's raising the knife, and verse, 20, or verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out, because you see, God was never after that. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, and there's such a, like an urgency to it, the repeating of the phrase there means, like, like in the act, God stops him with this just yell, to him. <laughs> right, listen, Abraham, Abraham, and he goes, well, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Because now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham, I know that you fear God, meaning I know that you trust him. I know that you revere him. Why? Because you haven't held back the one who means the most to you. And you might have a little bit of a theological disconnect. You might go, well, okay, but hold on. Doesn't God know everything? So, so why should God put him through this? Like This phrase, like, Now I know, like, didn't he know that before Abraham did anything? To which I would say we have to understand something as we're reading the scriptures. There's a difference between God knowing and God experiencing. Okay? So, like in in the grand scope of things, does God know everything? Yes, yes, and yes. In all the context leading to the story with the author of Genesis, wants you to believe that God knows everything. Yes. But there's a difference between him knowing it and him experiencing it, him living in that moment with him. If I could put it like this, okay, so in the Miller House, one of the things that, that we've been working to do, and that finally had success, is teaching my, my, my son to ride his bike without training wheels. You guys know that season, right? We're like, I mean, they just, pff, over again, right? Okay, and, and like, so it's been a lot of effort just teaching my boy, okay, listen, the wheels are off, you've got to learn how to balance and do this whole thing. In all of it, in all of the setbacks, in all of the frustration, the tears, the scraped knees, the whole nine, I've never once thought that he wouldn't get it. Like, I've never for a second believed, like, okay, this is just too hard for him, and he's never going to figure it out. No. And yet, in that moment, the first time I saw him riding down the block without the training wheels, I lost my daggone mind. Just yes, Ben. I knew you could do it. Yeah, my boy. I never doubted you. Like why? Because I'm experiencing in that moment, like to see what I hoped, to see what I knew about him. Yet, like it went in front of me. I rejoice in that. And if that's true for me, who's who's a flawed earthly man, how much more for Abraham's perfect heavenly father? He's in that moment. It's, it's not, oh, wow, I, 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 never, I, I didn't know, but now I know. It's that, okay, wow, I'm seeing you do it. And I knew you could. I'm seeing you become that man that I always wanted you to be. I'm seeing you step where I had hoped that you would and to see it. Oh, my boy, my boy, my boy. Because here's the big deal. In all those promises that God gave, in all those places where God said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, you should just know something. Is that the goal was never just to give promises to Abraham? The goal was to make Abraham into a man of promise. Do you understand the difference? The goal was never just to say, "I'm going to do this." I'm going to no. The goal was to transform Abraham. The goal was not just to tell him have faith. The goal was to make him into a man of faith. The goal was never just to give promises to Abraham. The goal was to make Abraham into a man of promise he wanted to form him in the same way for us he wants to form you he's not about just giving you promises of heaven and forgiveness those are great those are a starting point you need those that's just not all that he's going to do he's forming you he's molding you he's making you more like his son and so verse 13 abraham looked up So Abraham doesn't go through with the sacrifice. And now as he looked up in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns, meaning God himself provided the sacrifice. He wasn't going to ask Abraham to give up his son. No, God himself was going to give one for Abraham. So he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And once it's responsible, he worships. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided that's powerful that's powerful and you might go well okay but what do I do with that I mean you're telling me okay, that that God provided for Abraham you're telling me that God uh, you know took care of him and that I can trust God with my future I can do the right thing because I know God uh, will have my best interest at heart so what is it that I do as a response to this well, it's really, really simple. I, just, there's one thing that you say. There's one thing that you do. There's one place that my prayer for you to get to in your heart is. And it's this. To basically, just look at God and say, okay, God, I trust you. Okay, you know what? Okay, I trust you. And I, I don't know where the money's going to come from, but I trust you. And I don't know if I'll, I'll, if I'll ever be loved again, but, but but I trust you. And I don't know if I'll keep the house, but... I trust you, and, and, and I don't know if if, if, my, if I'll keep my job, but you know what? I trust you, and I know that the right thing for me to do is blank. Okay, I, Listen, I have no certainty for the future whatsoever, but God, I, I trust you. And you might go, but, but that's a big leap, man. I mean, how can I know? That where God calls me, he has my best interest at heart. How can I know that, that where God leads me will be better than where I could lead myself? And you know how you know? Because God has held back nothing from you. The reason that you can know that God will take you where you should go and, by, and that following him will end up like where you should be and be, be a better place in your plan for yourself is because God has never once held back himself when it came to you, that God himself looks at you, he looks at me, and he says, listen, I will always put you before me. That's who he is. And believe it or not, everything about this story foreshadowed that. Because you see, Abraham's story was never about just Abraham. There was a bigger eternal thing unfolding that Abraham was just foreshadowing. This story that we just read—it was all just almost prophetic. What was just saying? It was prophetic of something greater that God was going to do. That God wasn't about just one guy's heart; He was about all of our hearts. In fact, Paul writes this in in Colossians two seventeen. He says, "Talk about these Old Testament stories that we read. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ." Meaning, all the Abraham stuff that we read—as it turns out—it was just an indicator of something much bigger that God was doing in Jesus. Don't believe me? Let me show you. So way back at the beginning of the series, one of the things that we talked about was Abraham's salvation, how the reason that God saved him had nothing to do with him. It was grace-based, right? Like before circumcision, before the covenant, God saved Abraham because of faith. Genesis 15, 6 says it like this. Abraham believed the Lord, and he, talking about God, credited to him his righteousness. Meaning, the reason that God saved Abraham is because Abraham said, I believe that you'll do what you say. And God looked at him and said, I'm going to give you a standing with me you haven't earned. That sounds familiar to me. That sounds like a salvation the core of the Christian faith, that when we look at God and accept what he's done for us through Christ, he gives us a salvation we haven't earned. You're not good enough of a person to earn anything from God. But he looks on you with love and grace and will save you if you believe. But it doesn't just stop there. Genesis 15, verse 17. Remember this story of Abraham's covenant with God, where where they slaughter animals, they take the two halves, and this is basically saying, may I be like these animals if I don't keep my end of the deal? Right, so God appears as a, as a torch and smoking fire pot and goes between the two pieces, but he never has Abraham do that. Remember that? Remember, remember why that was? Because it turns out what God is saying is this, Abraham, if, I'm, if I don't keep my end, if I don't save you, if I'm not faithful, may I be killed just like these animals? But well, then, hey, Abraham, by not having Abraham go through it, but Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. If you don't keep your end, if you're not faithful, may I be cut off and killed like these animals? But it doesn't just stop there, no. How about what we read today? Genesis 22, verse 2. Here's what God says to him. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. And he says it more than once. Again, another place, verse 12. He says, you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. He's foreshadowing. Now, where have I heard that phrase before? Your son, your only son. Oh, yeah, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. See, Abraham didn't take Isaac, or God didn't take Isaac. He gave his son instead. God so loved that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But it doesn't just stop there. How about this? Remember the story of Abraham? He cuts the wood to take Isaac up for the sacrifice. How about, let me refresh you. Verse, 20, verse six in chapter 22. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son. He gives Isaac to carry this wood that will ultimately be where he dies. Now, that sounds familiar to me as well. Let me just think about it. Oh, yeah, John 19, 17. It says this, carrying his own cross, talking about Jesus. Puts the wood on his shoulder. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Are we beginning to see how all this stuff is just foreshadowing something greater? How about I give you some more? Genesis 22, verse 4 says this, On the third day... Abraham looked up. For three days, Abraham bears the weight and sadness of losing his one and only son. Now, gosh, I've heard that before. (laughs) Luke 24, verse 46 is what Jesus says about after he after his own death and resurrection. This is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. But there's this, this language that occurs over and over again in the text that we just read today about God providing a sacrifice, and it not being God taking something from Abraham, but God giving something to Abraham. So, for instance, Genesis 22, 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering of my son. It's not the only place. The other place we this, verse 13. He saw, talking about Abraham, he saw a ram caught by its horns, which is older mature animal, Uh, he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it. Meaning, okay, Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, but now God has given him a sacrificial lamb instead. Now, hmm. Do you know the very first time anyone ever recognizes who Jesus is as as the Messiah? In John, there's a story like this guy, John the Baptist, he's the first guy to say, listen, Jesus is here, he's the one that's going to die for your sins. And you know what he calls him? John 1.29, he says, look, the Lamb of God. Just like God provided the Lamb for the sacrifice. Well, he's done it again. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Turns out this story was never about just Abraham. That God wanted to do something not just for a people. Remember the whole thing about I will bless you to be a blessing to all nations? Yeah. It was never about just him It was about what God was doing for creation. That creation that we saw break way back in Genesis chapter three, turns out what God was doing was beginning a redemption and he started to foreshadow it here in the life of Abraham. Do you know? Do you know that God has given you a sacrifice? Do you know that, okay, listen, your actions separated you from God and what you deserve is suffering. You deserve to have your heart broken. You deserve judgment. You deserve all that. So do I, okay? I'm not standing on a high plane. But God has looked at you, and he's looked at me with love. So God so loved the world that he gave. Instead of taking from us, he gave his son. Jesus came into the world to bear the penalty for your sins and mine. Jesus died in our place so that we could be forgiven by God freely. We believe he credits it to us as righteousness. Jesus died in our place so that our sins could be wiped away and we could be saved. And so that you could know that's true, on the third day, God the Father raised him from the dead. The tomb is forever empty. An eternal promise of the fact that you can have life again. And so today, if you would say that you don't know Jesus, if you haven't received what he's done for you, man. I want you to pray with me. Or maybe where you are is, you know, you walked away and you want to come back. You pray too. And let's watch as we receive what God has done for us in this moment, as we receive a forgiveness that we didn't know possible and a peace with God, we could not begin to plan for ourselves. It's just that good. So every head bowed, every eye closed, let's pray together. If you want to receive Jesus for the first or hundredth time, here's what we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. God, I confess to you that I've sinned. I've done what's wrong. And I'm sorry. But Lord, I believe that you love me. And I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. To die in my place. And I believe that you raised him from the dead so that I can begin a new life. With you. So in this moment, God, I choose to trust you. I hand my life over to you. Do whatever you want in it. I ask you, please fill me with your spirit and show me how to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. If you pray with me really quick, before you go, grab a connect card. Let us know that you did that so we can help you take your next steps in faith. Otherwise, at this time, guys, you're dismissed. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week for Easter Sunday.